0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Great to be with you. I don't get up here very often. My name is Bill. If I've not met you yet, I'd love to uh, meet you after our time this morning. I'll be right out front. And... um, um, happy Memorial Day weekend to you also. As we celebrate, don't forget why. You know, Memorial Day weekend has just been more of a day off and a day to be with family and a day to have cookouts and get your spring. But we, we must not forget what we are celebrating, right? Thank God for the freedom we have. and Thank God for those who paid the ultimate price for that freedom that we have today. <clears throat> Before we get into the message, uh, just if we put up on the screen there, we have a link for our um, uh, the FPU University link. If you uh, are following along in the Riverside app, if you have downloaded the app, you can just click on the app that's in there or click on the link that's in there and that'll take you to that if you want to sign up for that. So we've been in this series uh, talking about food. And um, I'm going to hate to see the series go because of all the bulletin covers, this has been the best one. And I can't help but think of where I'm going to go for lunch today after looking at that. So, so we're talking about food and uh, looking at the food metaphors in scripture, the whole theme of it is taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you know that? The Lord is good, right? Right. Have you tasted, do you know it for a fact, you know it by experience, uh, because I think a lot of people try to, they pretend to, but uh, sometimes it, it just gets past them. They just, they miss out on that. Today, we're talking about the fruit-filled life. We're going to talk about the fruit, fruit of spirit. the Spirit. Bible uses fruit as that metaphor. And um, certain foods trigger memories for me. You know, smells do that, tastes do that, certain foods do that. And um, sorry, this thing is not the right size for me. I wonder who had it on last. So, <laughs> but foods trigger on triggers trigger memories for me. And um, what's your favorite fruit? What's your favorite? You just I'm mean, gonna think of your favorite fruit on the count of three. I want you to just yell it out. All right? Think of your favorite fruit. One, two, three. Oh, thank you, Ricky. That's my favorite fruit. Now, I like all kinds of fruit. I mean, who who doesn't like fruit? And one of the reasons why I, I like strawberries is because it reminds me of something. When I, was a, when I was a kid, my brother and I played Little League. And you know how after Little League games, oftentimes they go out to Tasty Freeze or Dairy Queen. It was Tasty Freeze when I was a kid. And um, we didn't do that because after every little league game, my mom would make strawberry shortcake, and it was just the little cups you bought and strawberries. And in the Ellis family, we'd put milk on everything. We'd pour milk on it. But you know what? This is pretty nice too. I don't know if it's the fruit or the whipped topping that I like the most. But but something about fruit—it's it's delicious. Fruit—it's it's tangy. It's it's tasty. Um, other fruit that remind you things blueberries. When I think of blueberries, I think of this most delicious blueberry pie I ever had when we were on vacation years ago in Bar Harbor, Maine. Warm ice cream over it, the greatest crust. Raspberries remind me of our neighbor's berry patch, and when we accidentally throw the ball into the neighbor's yard. We would, we would uh, run to see who could go, and you, you'd fight the jaggers to pick the berries, and um, she would come out yelling at us every time. Macintosh apples, not good to taste raw, but in mom's apple pie, they're fantastic. So these, these things, fruit, it's delicious, it's sweet, it's tangy, and it's good tasting. But here's the neat thing about fruit, it's good for you too, right? It's good for you too. However, fruit that's around too long can get rotten. And uh, rotten fruit, not, not too tasty, not too good for you. And you know the saying, one bad apple can spoil the whole batch. Jesus was talking about rotten religious leaders at one point, and he said, by their fruit you will recognize them, right? These 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 religious leaders who abused their authority and their leadership and controlled people with it. Jesus, uh, you know, he loved people, but the people that he pointed out the most that he disliked were the religious people. The irony of Jesus that he talked about recognizing good fruit, and yet he hung around a lot of sketchy people. Some pretty bad apples, right? The adulterers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. In fact... He was criticized because he was known as a friend to sinners. But in Jesus' view, it was the religious people. Oops. (laughs) It was the religious people. It was was the the, the leaders that, that he said, you know, these law enforcers, these were people that just had a way of spoiling everything they touched. Probably at one point they were fresh, but eventually their religion turned them rotten. And, and religion can do that to people, can't it? Religion can turn you rotten if it's, if it's a bad religion. And, I, and so we're going to talk about what the scripture says about that today. So he talked about avoiding, to change metaphors, sheeps, sheep in wolf's clothing. And and, uh, and those, he said, were the religious people of his day. These were the folks They were the churchgoers. They were the Sunday school attenders. They were the people that, Sabbath day attenders, maybe I should say. And, and, and the reason why they were rotten is they let their religion be a facade. They just wanted their religion to make them look good on the outside to other people. But inside, they were just as rotten and maybe more rotten than the people who knew they were rotten. So he talked about how our righteousness needs to exceed that of the super-religious people and and walk the narrow road. And yet, he had this real casual attitude about the ceremonial laws and the religious rules, the Sabbath regulations that these people were so intent on enforcing on everyone else. So there's one thing that Jesus taught us. It's this. He said that, that rotten religion produces putrid people. I want to talk about rotten religion. I'm talking about rule-focused religion. It's all about doing the rules. Religion gets reduced to a list of do's and don'ts. And those who use that can use it to manipulate others and make themselves look good. So putrid religionists are judgmental. They're prideful. They're hypocritical hypocritical legalists. And you know what? They're miserable people. They take joy in spreading their misery around to other people. Have you ever known people like that? Yeah, you know, the, 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 the holier-than-thou folks. The people that are quick to pointing their finger at everybody else, not realizing that they themselves are dealing with issues, but they're just in denial of those issues. The narrow way Jesus taught about the fruit-filled life is not about following rules and regulations, It's more like a branch that's united to the vine, he talked about in John 17. It's about tapping into this this life-giving, living relationship with the Spirit of Christ. Now the Apostle Paul, who also was a person that was full of rotten religion at one point, had this transformative experience. He was, he was one of these people that Jesus railed against. The Pharisee of the Pharisees, he called himself. He was, he was all about enforcing the rules of his religion. He was brought up well. He was, he was intelligent. He was brilliant. He was a, a scholar in the schools that he went to. And uh, he was about to go out and enforce his view of the world on everybody else and say that you have to believe exactly the way I do or you're a heretic and you should be stoned. And in fact, the first martyr of the Christian faith was Stephen, and it was Saul who became Paul, whose name was changed to the to, to the Greek name. The Hebrew name Saul, the, the Gentile name, because he went to the Greek world, was Paul. That's the reason his name was changed. But, but, but he gave his permission for Stephen to be stoned that day. And then he was on a tirade to just, after he persecuted the Christians in Jerusalem, these believers in the resurrection of Christ, he was going to go out to where they were running to. So they're going to Damascus and Syria. He goes there and he's on his way. And you know the story. He gets knocked off, literally knocked off his high horse, right, by a brilliant bright light. And he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who? Who? Why? Who am I? Christ. And he had this transformative experience where his religion turned from a list of rules to a relationship with the living spirit of Christ. Christ filled him with the Holy Spirit. He was blinded by the light. The scales came off. I love that. The scales came off his eyes, and he began to see everything and everybody through different eyes. And I'm just wondering if you're here today, maybe the cataracts have begun to grow over your religion because it can happen to all of us. The longer we're Christians, the easier it is to become rotten in your religion. And we get these cataracts growing over our eyes, and we can't see people the way Jesus sees them. And just maybe the scales need to come off somebody's eyes today. And mine too, because it's easy for all of us to go through this. So this, this, most religious person, Paul, who went after you know, doing this, he eventually, in writing to the Philippian church, he looked back at that life that he had before when he was, quote, the super religious person. He said, that's just a pile of dung compared to knowing Jesus, my Lord. So it goes from a religion to a relationship. It goes from this list of rules and enforcing rules. And you better do this or you better not do that. I'm a Christian, so this is how, why are you a Christian? And what makes you a Christian? Well, I don't do this and I don't do that. And I do do this and I do do that. That's what makes me Christian. No, it isn't. Jesus made you a Christian. He died for you he sacrificed himself for you. He took upon himself your guilt, your shame, your sin, your regrets, all the stupid decisions you ever made and stupid things you ever did. He he paid a horrible price for to set you free from those stupid decisions and stupid actions. So, on this memorial day, don't forget to remember the one who truly set us free this weekend. So, so so Paul he 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 talked about that former life was just all these works, all these things that I did to climb the ladder in my religion and make myself look good and and be the you know the the next leader in my movement. It was just all a bunch of garbage because I was using it to abuse people and hurt people. And then he started talking about, you know, the Christian life is more of a life that's that evolves. It's a life of tapping into the vine. It's as Jesus said, and he used, he used the word fruit. He talked about this fruit-filled life. We're going to turn to Galatians because that's where we're going today. The fruit of the spirit, Galatians chapter five. So he talks about what this fruit-filled life is like, this life in the spirit, but he compares it to the rotten religion or just the rotten life this legalistic life and he pointed out the difference between rotten religion and pure faith and this is all in in Galatians chapter 5 if you have your scripture I invite you to turn there please with me and he compares this rotten religion with the deliciousness of a relationship with Christ through the spirit of Christ that's yours and mine today that same spirit that he experienced is available to you and me today that's what we were singing about So in this letter to the churches, he's contrasting the rotten, empty religion with the deliciousness of this relationship. Let's start with verse 1, then we'll jump to verse 13. He says, we have freedom now because Christ made us free. So stand strong. Don't change. Don't go back into the slavery of the law, that rotten, legalistic religion. In verse 13, he says, my brothers and sisters, God called you to be free, but do not use your freedom as an excuse to do what pleases your sinful self. Rather, serve one another, serve each other with love, for the, the whole law is made complete in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you go on hurting each other and tearing each other apart, be careful, or you will completely destroy each other. Rotten religion makes putrid people. They destroy one another. So these Gentiles, these, he's the, the Galatian churches that Paul helped to establish were part of the Greek world. They weren't part of the Hebrew world, part of the Jewish world. They were, they were Gentiles who, who didn't grow up practicing these religious legalistic, these laws that, that Judaism had. For instance, circumcision, circumcision, some of the dietary foods they were not allowed to eat. So they didn't have any qualms about that. But what happened was, after Paul left them, these good, well-meaning Jewish Christians came along afterwards and said, you know what? To really be a good Christian, you got to be like Jesus. And Jesus was Jewish, so you better be Jewish. And to be Jewish, you got to be circumcised. you got to obey these laws, because that's what good Jews are. Jesus was a good Jew. Well, they went from being set free from their, their pagan religious practices, their, their, their idolatry, their um, sexual morality, and a lot of the stuff that, that was promoted and, and, and accepted as normal by getting set free from that stuff that was destroying them and following Christ the spirit of Christ, only to be told, well, you're not good enough now. The Christ who set them free and made them forgiven, accepted, loved, all of a sudden they felt like they were condemned, that they weren't good enough, that they needed to be better. And so it destroyed their, it was destroying their faith. I love what Eugene Peterson wrote when he said, when men and women get their hands on religion, one of the first things they often do is turn it into an instrument to control others either putting them or keeping them in their place. He said, the history of such religious manipulation and coercion is long and tedious. For instance, the scribes and Pharisees. And it's little wonder that people have only known religion in such terms, experience release or escape from it as freedom. The problem is that freedom turns out to be short-lived. So here's the thing. Rotten religion enslaves people, but a real relationship, a living relationship, liberates people. It liberates people. Paul, again, trying to control the heretic Christians, imprison them, stoning them uh, because of his rotten religion. He was knocked off his high horse. All of a sudden, he was given a new relationship. A living relationship, and here's the problem with the Galatians. He says early, late, earlier on in the chapter, verse seven. He said you were you were running a good race, you were making progress, you were you were your life was getting better and better. You were you were you were doing the right things, and you were free to do that. And he said, but who cut in on you? You were running a race, and somebody cut in on you, and they stopped you in your tracks. And he said his most harsh words to these people when he said, I wish they would go all the way and castrate themselves. Because he was forcing them to be circumcised. Peterson goes on to say, through Jesus, Paul learned that God was not an impersonal force to be used to make people behave in certain prescribed ways but a personal savior who set us free to live a free life. God did not coerce us from outside in, but he transformed us, set us free from the inside out. And true change happens from the inside out. Rotten religion is always manipulation from the outside in. You say, well, this is such a odd thing. We don't do that today. We don't experience that today. And yet, it's all around us. You, you, you know the thought, the religious thought police who will make you feel like if you don't believe exactly the way they believe, you're not a real Christian. If you don't vote exactly the way they vote, or if you don't agree with whatever their pet peeves are, if you have different opinions than them, then you must not be a full Christian because a Christian has to do this and that. And all of a sudden, it's like, really? Because I see that Jesus cared about people and all kinds of people. So Jesus set us free, but free to do what? Free to to just obey the rules? No, free to love God and serve others with a glad and a sincere heart. And I'm free from my own selfish, self-destructive will. That's what he set you free from yourself. That's who he set you free from. From your own sinful nature that was controlling you and binding you. So rotten religion, however, is just a poor cover-up for a person's sinful nature. And any objective outsider can see through the Pharisees' hypocritical pride and prejudices. You remember the story of the two people that went to the temple to pray, and Pharisee goes to pray, Oh God, I thank you that I am so religious. I'm paraphrasing here that, you know, I... I tithe, I eat all the right foods, I go to Sabbath every week, I do everything that I'm supposed to do, and I thank you, God, that I'm not like that wicked tax collector over there. And Jesus said, the poor tax collector's in the corner, and he's just bowing before God. He said, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of those people went away forgiven that day? Was it the rotten religion, or was it the person who humbled himself and said, I need God in my life? And he did, he did. So Paul goes on to write here in Galatians 5, verse 16. So I tell you, he says, live by following the Spirit. So in other words, follow the Spirit, and then you're not going to be doing what your sinful self wants. Because our sinful self wants what is against the spirit and the spirit wants what is against this our sinful selves so these two things are in opposition to each other so you can't do just as you please but if the spirit is leading you you are not under the law you see when somebody just tells you from the outside you do this this and this you know legalism will keep you safe for a while This might be a poor illustration, but having a speed limit keeps us safe, right? It's a law. It's there to keep us safe. If there were no speed limits, some people would take that as a license to drive recklessly, and they end up killing themselves or killing somebody else. So the law is there to help us, but you know What? <clears throat> When you say, I think that it's better to drive at a safe speed, and I don't need a speed limit to tell me what that safe speed is because I don't want to kill myself or somebody else, you're set free from the law. You don't have to worry about the law. So there's this war going on between our, our, our old self, our sinful nature, this, this, this part of us that just wants to make ourselves feel better and it's all about me and the spirit of Christ. It's almost like this body, this body of flesh is the old house but when we come to Christ it has a new occupant and the thing is when the spirit of Christ comes in sometimes the house of flesh doesn't want the new occupant and so there's this battle going on between, this is the way I always did it. This is the habits I've developed. This is the practices. This is the way I was raised. This is what, why I do the things I do. And the Spirit comes in. It's like the Spirit wants to set you free from that. But there's going to be a little bit, there's a battle there. There's this process of what the scripture calls sanctification. So here's the thing. Rotten religion is really just a religion based on our sinful nature. It's not a religion that's based on the freedom of the Spirit. Rotten religion appeals to our sinful nature to make itself look good and act good and control other people. Rotten religion is rooted in our sinful nature, but a living relationship is birthed by the Spirit of Christ. And then he goes on and he talks about these works of the flesh. And I I, I put this in the message paraphrase. This is Eugene Peterson's translation of the words that we have in the NIV, the King James, or the other versions. And because I think he describes it. He, he, it's, well, let's just read what he says in verse 19. He says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of, quote, trying to get your own way all the time. That's the works of the flesh. Trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods or idolatry, magic show religion, witchcraft. Paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, an all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on, he says. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If this is what you are doing, if you, if you are living by the rules, then what happens? You become this, you live a double life. Because it's like, well, I'll obey the rules, but then I'll just compartmentalize my religious part of my life but then I have this part of my life and it's really my flesh. And so we try to walk in both worlds, the religious world and the fleshly world and that's rotten religion at the core. It's putting on a facade of religion while you're only covering up your rotten self-centeredness. And God came because you live in that double life, it catches up to you, it destroys you eventually and it destroys others trying to get your way all the time, works of the flesh. Another word for that is narcissism. It's all about me and using people to get more for me and using my power, using my religion, using this fake sense of of that I have something that you don't to control other people. Do you know anybody like that? In their attempt to get their way all the time, they really become miserable, lonely people Chris and I know somebody like that, unfortunately, that grew up in a Christian home but had this sense of, you know, being spoiled, always having to get her own way. And uh, now she's in her mid 50s and has divorced two husbands who were good people. all the problems that she has are everybody else's fault never her own blame is always cast on other people all the time she can't see that she's the cause of a lot of her problems and yes some bad things happen to her but they happen to everybody and now she's a bitter miserable woman who's lonely and broken narcissism it's all about me Religion without the spirit or a relationship is a narcissist's way of using religion to manipulate others for selfish reasons. Religion without the spirit or a relationship is powerless to change a person. Religion without the spirit or a relationship, it just feeds hypocrisy in this double life. Religion without the spirit or relationship with God is an endless series of self-centered, meaningless acts that lead to ever-increasing loneliness and regret. But, and here's the good news... If anyone is in Christ, he is what? She is what? A new creation. Everything old is passed away and everything is becoming new. It's fresh. It's ripe. It's tasty. It's sweet. It's delicious. When a person dies to the old rotten religion and humbles oneself and surrenders to the spirit, a new relationship is born. The spirit of Christ takes root in us, or maybe better said, we take root in the vine, the spirit of Christ. We are infected by the spirit of God. Rotten religion is cancerous to the soul, but the fruit of the spirit does a body good. Right? Does your body good and it does the body good. Cause imagine if everybody lived this way the fruit of the spirit produces the fruit of love joy peace next text patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control There's no law that's going to say, these things are bad. you live like that, who has to worry about the law? So many people are worried about just getting as close to staying within the line of the law that they don't even think about the fact, well, you know, if I'm just getting as close to God as I can, I'm living by the fruit of the Spirit, I don't have to worry about, am I sinning or am I not? Am I in or am I out? No, because... This right here, this fruit of the Spirit, there's no laws against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, notice, have crucified. It's done. You belong to Christ. Your old self, your sinful self, it's dead. They've given up their old selfish feelings and the evil things that they wanted to do. Now we get our new life from the Spirit so we should follow the Spirit. We must not be proud or make trouble with each other or be jealous of each other. Again, starting with these people who were fighting and devouring and now he's saying, you live like this. You're going to be better. The world's going to be better. How do you do that? You've got to have the Spirit of Christ in you. Well, how do I get that? You ask. (laughs) You die to yourself, and you're resurrected to new life. You say, no longer I that lives, as he said in chapter 2, verse 20, but now Christ lives in me. It's no longer me, myself, and I trying to get everybody else to make me happy, and I'm only more miserable because nobody can make me happy. But if I die to my, my, my desire to make everybody else make me happy, and maybe I say, maybe my life would be better if I lived to make other people happy. That's the paradox of faith, isn't it? And when you live to love God by loving others and serving others, and you live to make other people around your life whole and happy and better, guess who becomes happier? Boom! David Brooks wrote a book recently. I don't know if I shared this with you. Um, I can't remember the name. But but it's about character. And he talks about the 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 idea that many people, most people live to build their 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 life resumes, their career resumes. Climbing the ladder, getting to the top, being, you know appreciated, respected. And, but he says they, they ignore their eulogy virtues, their resume virtues. They live for their resume virtues rather than their eulogy virtues. That's what he said. The character is when you live in such a way that when people gather around you, when you're lying there, they're not talking about how much money you made, how big your house was, what kind of car you drove. They're talking about how loving you were, how patient you were, how kind you were, how good you were, how selfless you were, how disciplined you were. Those are eulogy virtues. That's what the Spirit brings to you. That's what I want to live for. I don't care. People say, oh, he started a church. Oh, he got a big degree, (laughs) he did all those things, you know. I, I don't care about that. I wanna know, did they feel like I cared about them? Did they feel like I loved them? Did they feel like I was there for them when they needed me? Fruit of the spirit, it does a body good. The body of Christ in Galatia was suffering because of rotten religion. He said, "You know what? You want your body to be whole. You want your body to be fresh, tangy, fruit, delicious, tasty. You want it to be attractive to others. Love God, serve others. Be kind, be good, be gentle, be patient, be joyful, be loving. have self-control. How many of you could do a, could stand a little more of that in your life, right?" How many of us starting to smell a little fresh in our religion? We want to be fresh fruit for the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me today, please? Maybe here this morning, you're saying, man, I just need, I, I, I really, I, I need the Spirit of Christ to help me to live for, for God and for others and not be so self-centered. I realize lately that it's all been about me. but feeling self-pity and sorry for myself and mad and angry and bitter. And other people aren't as good as me, and I want to punish them and let them know it. I, I just don't want to live that kind of life because it's just self-defeating miserable? you want a fresh start with the fruit of the Spirit on this Memorial Day, on this beginning of summer? Do you want to say, yeah, you know what, I, I want this summer to be spent blessing God and blessed by serving others and loving others and experiencing the reward of all of that life. If that's you, would you just bow your heads? Would you just pray with me? Maybe this, maybe this could be your prayer. God, forgive me for my selfish Life. Forgive me for living a double life. Forgive me for putting on a good front in church, but being two-faced about it. In and, and my work, I'm just a, you know what? And I, and I don't want to be that person. Thank you for the Spirit of God that speaks to me and humbles me. I repent of that person, God. I don't want to be that person. So, so, so Jesus, I just want to surrender to you. I want to die to my old self. I want to live for Christ. Even Paul died to himself, but he said, I reckon myself dead to sin daily. And It's been a long time where you had to say to yourself, I am now dead to sin today. I'm not going to go back to my old life. I'm not going to fall into my old ways. God, I need the spirit of Christ in me. God, I I, I want to I want to create sweet tasting memories in other people so when they think of me they think that that I was there for them. Come into my life. Spirit of God come now. I offer myself. You're welcome here in my heart. You're welcome in my life. I invite you in. Be there for me God I pray.